I'm really happy to be introducing the moderator of our first panel today, Mr. John King. John King is the San Francisco Chronicle's urban design critic, a beat that takes in all aspects of the built terrain and the spaces between. He has written for magazines, including Metropolis and Architectural Record, and is the author of the 2011 book Cityscapes, San Francisco and its Buildings. In terms of architectural style, he is an agnostic. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. John King. Thanks to all of you for being here, and as someone who lives in Berkeley and works in San Francisco, I'm profoundly disappointed by the weather this weekend, because <laughs> if I wanted this, I would have stayed at home. Um, but it is my pleasure to introduce the panel. I'm going to give real short introductions and then uh, move into a discussion. The format, we've got about an hour, so I'll be essentially giving a few questions one question to each panelist, they'll talk for about five minutes, then we'll have a bit of a conversation and then go to questions. But I want to start, I'll, I'll work backwards. Uh, Fred Kent is with the Project for Public Spaces. It is a group based in New York that works on placemaking, kind of interventions in open spaces, in streets and squares, so on and so forth. He got his start working with Holly White, who um, was a very impressive person, but who also did one of the few books on urban design worth having, which is The Social Life of Small Urban Spaces. I don't even know if it's still in print. Oh, no, we sell it. Okay, we there you go. Go to, Actually, the, go to the website. And more and more. His book, his book Cities, isn't as good. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's basically, it's a good small idea turned into a formula. Um, <laughs> so, Double Day told him he had to do it that way. <laughs> I, I figured that. Um, and so currently, Project for Public Spaces has about 30 projects going on, including um, several, I mean, several continents, including uh, working in Santa Monica. Well, no, Pasadena. Pasadena. Yeah. I'm totally off up here. No. <laughs> um, next on the panel is Val Augustin. He is with... He's an adjunct professor, assistant professor at the USC School of Architecture, but also has a firm in Los Angeles, DNA, which works at the scale of houses, infill condominiums, or infill residential units, and really thinking about kind of the grain of today's Los Angeles. A few years ago, he took part in uh, Prop X City Lab, an effort to think about a topic we'll be talking about later, which is as society changes, as cultural changes, as culture changes, how do you get the flexibility, the ability to be flexible in terms of what actually gets built? And the final member of the panel is Tom Main, who is the only member of the panel who has won both the Pritzker Prize and the American Institute of Architects Gold Medal. I had to say those. Uh, and he was a co-founder of SciArc, but also founded his firm, his firm, Morphosis, in 1972. And I am going to start, and I, I don't go on further because I figure most of you folks know him. Um, I'm going to start with a question for Tom. And in the last 15 years or so, your work has really moved up in scale from Los Angeles, Southern California-based, you know, this house or that restaurant and so on to much larger scales in a much larger set of environments. And I'm just kind of curious, kind of, what are your lessons learned? I mean, what have you, this kind of, what is the engagement with different clients and different cultures taught you about the potential and also the limitations of architecture as a social force? And the title of this, this group is, Does Architecture Matter? Yes, and, and because we have an hour, I, yeah, th so the title is, Does Architecture Matter? And it's a fascinating question, just to interrupt real quick, because for all that we talk about the role of the architect, and I don't know how many of you have seen the exhibition that's now up, but it, it's a very good exhibition. It also captures a moment when architecture was seen as this kind of propulsive force in sync with where the culture was going, rightly or wrongly. It's a much different world today. And, and so that's what, 
what, what impact can architects have? We're, we're going to be very quickly today, so I'm going to be quite blunt, more blunt than normal. Um, to, to practice in L.A., to begin with, um, you know as a, a young architect, young being 45 years old, that you're not going to practice in L.A. at a certain scale. And it, it, the, if you have to know very little history. Um, Otto Floss in 1914 had a conversation with Schindler in Vienna and said, get out of here. He went to Taliesin. Um, he was put on the, Barnes, the, the Barnsdale house as a, as a local guy, and the rest is history. Um, Horace Wright was here just before that at the same time. And um, Neutra followed. And it was the beginning of a um, of serious architecture, critical architecture, let's say, in a very, very young town. And then the case study group followed, and it became more institutionalized. Well, um, and then we showed up in, in the 60s, and the whole focus of architecture was changing. Um, it was responding to huge social changes um, in this country in the 60s, and it was shifting the focus of what architecture was or wasn't what it responded to, and it was parallel to the, the, um, the end of modernism, the, uh, the exhaustion, let's say, of a third-generation modernist as we showed up. But what was happening also is that, um, unbeknownst to us at the time, um, and there's a photograph in the, in, the, in the show, it was going international, and the international had to do with publications and the way architecture was disseminated, and all of a sudden we're showing up in Italy and we're showing up in Japan, et cetera, et cetera. And um, the provincial nature of architecture was changing. Well, the, the key to this is, um, and you know this, if you're looking at the history of architecture, built architecture in the city, it's residential. It's a domestic scale, and it's very unusual people broke out of that. Right? Neutra did it once, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I was told by people like Frank, uh, Gary, Fogg, um, when I was very frustrated at 42 or 45, that it's not going to happen here. I'm going to work someplace else. And sure enough, when I was 48 years old, I got a piece of work in Austria, and well, I got to Pomona School at the same time. And I got a piece of work in, in uh, Toronto doing the graduate school. And my career began. I started, and it was predictable. And I can tell you that the next generation, a couple generations, the people I talk to, it's the same discussion. And well, it's shifted now that the work is going to be in Beijing, or Shenzhen, or, or Shanghai, or, or Singapore, etc. And it's just a, um, it's a young town still. And um, it, does architecture matter if you're going to be cynical? And it's very unfair to me to say this because I've been treated very well, and I'm, I'm, I feel really kind of incredibly lucky in terms of my own direction in my career. But um, in this city, um, not so much. Not so much by the people that are the characters that build the political class in the business group. But at the political same class could care less in this. Nobody's interested in the city about architecture whatsoever. But moving beyond the city, I mean, one thing that is interesting to me is you've worked at large scales now in other cities and other countries. Is there a potential of architecture as catalyst of shifting the culture, the culture's thought, or is it essentially discrete objects that can be richly satisfying on their own terms? I mean, LA is known, John, you know that, it's coming from San Francisco, this divide between San Francisco and urban place, which, which honors um, a broader infrastructural urban idea versus LA, which is a series of objects. And so you arrive here as an architect, I'd be curious if Valerie says the same thing, um, you make these kind of pretty objects that people talk about, and they also pummel you for it. And that's uh, what LA is, and it represents the culture, because there isn't a, um, a connective glue urbanistically like there is in a, in a Manhattan or in a San Francisco or a Boston or a Philadelphia. It's a different type of city, and it only reflects the nature of the values of the city. And um, it's very unusual to move beyond that. Because I would have said, I think the most interesting problems aren't architectural, they're infrastructural and urban. And those are the most compelling projects that drive us today Which in this country. We're, yeah, we're, gonna, we're gonna get to those, believe me. I've got a question for Val, as an architect who is on the young curve. And that's the, the beauty of being an architect is that you're a, you're a young prodigy when you're like 55 or something. <laughs> exactly. Um, in you're journal in journalism, ago. you're headed to the <laughs> night cop shift. <laughs> Um, but I, but kind of curious, I mean, what do you see as the potential an architect can have? I mean, do architects matter working at the smaller scale? If Los Angeles is anything, it shows that, you know, big cities aren't the sum of their big buildings. It's the, the fine grain. 
what impact can architects have at that fine grain? Um, I think I'll begin by answering, I would say, I probably disagree a little bit with Tom in that I think um, architecture does matter. It's just I think it matters in ways in which we as architects probably fully haven't um, been able to tap into, I would say, from our position as being, you know, um, for lack of a term, like an ivory tower where, you know, we design things, we draw lines on paper, we conceptualize. Um, but I think that architecture actually influences people in ways that um, go beyond just uh, the built form, right? And that um, the simple way in which a great space, for example, makes people feel. And so that has less perhaps to do with uh, the, spe the specificities of, let's say, uh, a formal language, let's say, right? And it's more about how these things, I think, do perhaps become connected in ways that we just necessarily can't, I think, um, quantify, I think that's the best way to describe it, right? That it's, um, when you talk about a big building, it's easy to quantify it in terms of its budget, let's say its mm -hmm. uh, location in the city, its scale, its impact on that level. But I would probably argue that architecture matters much more at that fine grain, that what we experience every day. But would it matter in the sense of a good building, you know, like a good building on a block or something, or a building that adds to its immediate surrounding, or can architects have an impact at the small scale still starting to shift public expectations of what a city should give them or what a neighborhood should give them? Yeah, and um, yes, I would say that you should use the term a good building. And I would perhaps say that what good architecture does perhaps is to provoke questions, make people think differently about their cities. And uh, that's probably, I would say, our, our role as architects, perhaps, right, is not necessarily to design each and every, you know, bit and piece of it, but perhaps design the stuff that makes people think differently about the cities that we live in. Okay. And Fred, your work is on very much a lot of it, the spaces between buildings. Oh, well, it's in the buildings, too. To us, uh, a public space is everything except for someone's home or office. So it's not outside, it can be inside. In fact, it's often inside a building and outside, it's on that edge. But, you know, is architecture important? I don't think it's anywhere near as important as it should be. And I think it needs to go through a whole transformation. And I was just thinking as you were talking, is I was uh, sitting in a, in a uh, piazza in, uh, in Florence and I was just observing for a while. I love, you can see a lot just by observing, you know. And so I was watching, I started watching dogs come into this piazza. And the dogs would look around and they would look for another dog, right? <laughs> they didn't really look at people. So then, then I was thinking, as we were sitting here, I was thinking, well, you know, I walk around with architects a lot. And architects look at other architecture. But people look at other people, you know? And, and people may sense architecture which is important, but it sort of blurs in the back of their minds because they're interested in people socializing over here and hugging over there, uh, looking at a product there. And so the whole experience that people have is not really about architecture, it's about the place. And we're doing a very large project in Detroit where we have the whole down core of the downtown. This fellow's bought 20 buildings and has four million square feet and he has uh, brought in a lot of people to his business. And, but he needs to have, have the, the environment in a good environment because he can't get good people unless he's got a good environment. So we did a, what we call a placemaking uh, plan, vision, uh, and that means inside the buildings, inside the retail, which is a lot of it is empty, out onto the street. We've got 45-foot sidewalks and they put these silly planners that mean you can't do anything. So all, almost, it, it's very hard to make a place come alive. So it's all about product and people, and that's, then architecture actually plays a more important role because it's more background in some cases, it's foreground in other cases, but it doesn't disturb that rhythm of kind of the people using that space, being drawn into it, experiencing it intuitively. So it's like architecture has become so rarefied, so isolated in its own tiny little world and uh, you couldn't understand what most of the architectural criticism was, like Osaroff at the New York Times. I'd read his stuff and, and you have to have a translator. Uh, because well, but you, but you're, you're talking about there is a very small number of buildings. Well, yeah, but every building, like if you're in, in Santa Monica, I was there, walked down there, I've been, I go there a lot. But the Apple Store 
you know, I guess that's architecture, right? Maybe. I, I haven't seen the one in Santa Monica. Well, it's just all glass. Okay, that's uh, what? Bolin Sliwinski Jackson, probably. And it's, you know, it's magnificent because you see inside and outside. It's a public space inside, it's a public space outside. You know, and so you see all of this interaction. And then you go to the building we were working on in, uh, in uh, Detroit, a new building called CompuWare building, and you can't see the uses because all the columns are so heavy that you can't see anyone. Even if they're, if they're inside the restaurant, the windows are dark. So you have to sort of de-skin the architect. And there's another building which was done by a famous architect, and it has all these columns, and there's just this much light in between them, and the place is dead. So we have to take all of these buildings and open them up and get them to become integral to, a, to the square, which we did the plan for, Campus Martius. But that's only a little space in the middle. So if you take it and you start going into the buildings all the way around, you actually then create something far more dynamic, and it actually brings the architecture alive. Yeah, okay, great. Uh-huh. Now, now, I want to kind of move to a more general sense, and what I want to start, one thing that I think we can all agree on is that culture and society just seems to speed, speed up a lot. You know, just the, the social, cultural changes that have gone on in the last 10, 20 years just continue to move faster. Architecture, by nature, is a slow process, especially with zoning rules, with financing limitations. And, and this is kind of a general question, but I mean, how can built, reaction, how can built architecture react to and anticipate the fact that society keeps changing? I'm kind of curious. In other words, how, how can the architect not just respond to context, but design the future context. Yeah, I think the problem is the opposite. The, okay. uh, we're so far behind. Um, and again, it's a more, I see this more of a problem within this culture, culture being the U.S. of A. Um, the, the opportunities right now are just um, enormous in terms of redefining what architecture is or isn't yes. within social terms, within political terms, within te- technological terms, the way we make it, the way we conceive of it, in the digital environment. And... Um, you, it's hard to find a contemporary building coming out of this country. There's just about no output, just about nothing coming out of this country right now. If you compare it to Switzerland, a, a country that's half the size of the city. You mean in terms of in terms cultural of, of contemporary, current, what's possible in architecture today? You just open up a magazine and see where it's coming from. And it'll be very rare you're going to find anything coming out of the U.S., in any design magazine, period. And, and you wonder, um, so I'll be with uh, Peter Cook. We'll be arriving here for the SciArc event. And we'll be, we'll be in New York and looking at the, some magazine. He's just, he's just in looking at it and he goes, Tom, um, kind of, why, does, why aren't there any, this is the US of A, this is a research country. Why can't I find any buildings coming out of this, this culture? And he'll pull out a Swiss magazine and say, I got all these projects coming out of this little country and we'll have that conversation. And, but we're, it's just a kind of an odd time in history. Um, it's it doesn't seem like there's a huge amount of people interested in, um, in innovation at the moment. I mean, on the way over here, I'm listening to NPR, and they're discussing uh, the, the, the problematic of teaching evolution in, in, um, in our education. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a problem. <laughs> and if that's the kind of conversation we're having, it's kind of hard to go to the next way. And then I'm working mostly, I'm working out of the country right now. I come back from Shenzhen or Shanghai, or Beijing, and it's, um, it's just mind-boggling. Um, it's so common if you're doing something here that seems a little out of the ordinary in a place that's so interested in freedom but is so terrified of having a voice. In fact, if you have a voice and do something weird, you're going to be pummeled for it in this country. Uh, you literally look at all the people that are pummeled, and they actually are the people that have a voice. And uh, you go and you, you'll hear, and it hasn't been done before, and the answer they want is yes. When I come back from China, it couldn't be yes. It's course not. That's why they hired me. But isn't there right? an argument? And it's like, no, bigger, <laughs> longer, new. And I think it's not about the specifics. Dark space, light space, or you have the answer. I don't think anybody has the answer, frankly. Uh, there is no orthodoxy or correct or, or right or wrong way of doing urban space. Um, it's a general sensibility of architecture as a symbol of a culture that has some idea of a trajectory of where it belongs in the world. And we're not there right now. We're just in an odd time in history where we're, we're, we're kind of hanging onto the walls. But, but and there's what, a lot of cultures that are going, uh, architecture, liturgy is the symbolic act of concretizing but, the nature you, of who you I'd are as curious. a culture. I mean, what, what do you guys think? I mean, should architecture 
symbolizes society, or is architecture more a container, or is it a container it that also That's all it is. It could, it could be nothing else. Yeah, but you okay. can, I think it can be all, all of those things, right? Not, not every building has to do um, each and everything, but I think different buildings can perform all those various functions. And I would also, you know, just responding to the question that I think the difficulty is trying to make architecture react, which is just, I think, um, sort of irrelevant to the way in which, you know, buildings, I think, um, can perform, right? I think a good building, you know, what the best it can do is perhaps just kind of set up a set of parameters, almost like a backdrop for these other things to happen, right? It's impossible. It takes too long for a building to get built. It takes, like as you already pointed out, there's all these hurdles. So good architecture, I think, lets the stuff that Fred was talking about happen, right? It lets the people come in and fill in those gaps that architecture just can't do. But, but a building can change and needs to change over time. Like I have, I look at your building, I'm in Astor Place, and I wish your building would change so that it would be more about the square. Because we have two other buildings there that just don't have any place there. And our, we have actually have a job to take Astor Place and make it into a destination. And the buildings are the biggest obstacle there because they're not flexible and they can't change over time. In Detroit, we can change the buildings. We can do extensions on them. We can change the, take some of the columns out. We can make the whole place come alive. And, and as long as the buildings are flexible. So if you, I think the future of architecture is more about flexibility because the future of public spaces is flexible because we're changing so fast. There's so much going on and you don't know next, next week what is, what's gonna be needed in a particular place and then how do you respond to that with design? Well, but I mean, it, what's interesting is that, you know, in, in a way the most flexible forward-looking buildings are like kind of the 19th century warehouses. They're immense, they've got high ceiling, you know, they can, they can live a dozen different lives. I mean, but you can't be taking columns out, putting columns back, so on and so forth. I well, mean, you, what did they do in Granville Island, in, in Vancouver? They, they, these corrugated buildings, and they kept them all, and they opened it up, and yeah, they're still there, but you don't see the corrugated parts of it. You see all of the uses that pour out of it. It's the same building that was there 70, 50 years ago. Well, let me do it. But you see, what we're talking about is he's talking about architecture in one sense, and I'm talking about place in another. And what we're trying to do is find a way so that there are his architecture, and he's different, can actually maybe become more alive and still have the, the, the amazing uh, presence that, that he's talking about. So yeah, it's this, that's where I think we need to go. We call it architecture of place, uh, and, you know, where you don't have these sort of forever type of solid structures, you know, the Gary type of things that, you know, just don't have any life to them. They're just objects. And uh, there was a, the, the Balboa building in, in Bilbao. My son went there on his honeymoon and he was going down into this pit, which is the entranceway into the museum. And there was this couple coming up. And when they got up to the top of the stairs, they were robbed by these two people standing out there because there was nothing else to do there. So, you know... <laughs> come on, come on, that's an absurd... You're picking probably... It's not absurd. You're, you're, that's an absurd <laughs> it's conversation. Not. It's a real... It's I a can real. walk down the corner right here and be robbed. That's absolutely absurd. Okay. The architecture does You'll not solve okay the location of criminal activity. That's a totally... It crazy. creates those possibilities. But by the way, you're, you're, you pick one of the worst examples you're going to pick. I, Frank... <laughs> Of all of Frank's buildings, that's probably the most absolutely intelligent, insanely urbanistic project. If you've been there and oh, coming down on. the street in the piece, oh, the then plaza, you don't, then you're, the you moving and I down, don't, don't. which mimics uh, Pompidou. Yeah. I mean, you and I don't see urban in the same way. No, 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 very no. different way. But, well, but, 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 but no, that's but what's think, important. Think, you see, we I can think, have a good discussion. But see, I think this starts to get to a, a point that I want to touch on is that there are different architectures, there are different cultures. And that's one of the things that kind of interests me is that as tough as, it, with all the hurdles and everything, what role can architecture play as a catalyst? Like, as Val said, to go back to the idea of kind of almost provoking questions and things. I mean, what, what is the role, what is the role, maybe is it at all ever the role of architecture and architects to kind of start to reframe questions, to start to be the signifier, to use a jargony word I wouldn't use in the newspaper. Hmm. Good I word. Mean, I mean, what, what can the architect be as a catalyst, or should they be? If it's grounded in uh, a whole set of issues that help that place to come alive, 
the architecture can play an extremely powerful role. But I don't see it happening very much at all, certainly not in the United States. Uh, but when you go to some of the great streets of the world, the architecture is changing all the time. In Paris, you know, you go and you, you walk along a street and some of the old buildings are behind it, but the whole base of the building has come alive. And in fact, you can see right through the base, you can see all of the activity in the restaurants. It's like the whole, the whole the street is triple loaded in some cases with uh, sidewalks having double loaded and, and then the middle you can walk down. Is, that's architecture, I think, and it's a place. And the architecture is in the, all the intricate little things of the, the kiosks and, and the, the, the kind of chairs, the way the awning is designed. Some of it is so incredibly precious and so beautiful that it's absolutely stunning. And so if I could say if that philosophy and your philosophy could be put together where there's something <coughs> about it, this aha, wow, it's wonderful, it's, uh, it's exciting, and it's very usable and you want to be there all the time, then that would be great. If Gary had done that, maybe more people would go to some of his museums. Uh, yeah, let's, oh, let's, no. you know, I mean, wow, well, I can see I mean, agree on nothing. <laughs> Zero. Well, no, see, the thing, you is, know, the thing about LA that's so the, phenomenal the, is it, yeah. it, it, it resists orthodoxies. It's not, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a hard time here. The thing that's so exciting about this place, that, that what LA is, is a place for constant experimentation. It refers to what you were talking about. It's about buildings that constantly demand um, thinking and a discussion of what architecture is and isn't. And it doesn't matter whether you like it or like it, like it or dislike it. The disliking might be even more important in some cases. And that it resists any singular orthodoxy. In Paris, come on, this is a, this is a 19th century idea. This has nothing to do with the public in the 21st century. Oh, Zero. bullshit. Bullshit. Zero. No. Oh, bullshit. Oh. It's, it's, if, oh, you build it, if you build in Paris, it's dead. Paris is the deadest. Nobody wants to live in Paris except some old couple. It's absurd. The business, the business community. I'm building a big. I'm building a big tower there. It's a joke. Paris is the largest um, there exterior be a big museum in the world. Anything that really happens happens in its exterior, including the, the modern economy of that city. And any Parisian will tell you that. Do you practice architecture there? Ask any young architect what's happening in Paris. There's nothing happening. You can't build there. It's a mausoleum, right? It's, this is a place that's the opposite. This is a place that's constantly asking questions of what urbanism is, what public space is, and it's, it's, it's a set of questions. Nobody has the answer to it. It's definitely not looking backwards. I agree, with the, I agree Reagan with what you just said. Reagan won't help us in that level. But it's going to be more, but it's going to be much more like, like Paris and the street life if, if uh, Los Angeles is going to grow, it's got to grow in that direction. It's I'm not just going to be. Reagan. Yeah, this but is, you really look at that Reagan. No, 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 no. Come on, why? why okay. You know, I mean, I, I, we have I, more people I mean, following us on Facebook and Twitter than this Congress for New Urbanism. Because placemaking, and we're working in places like, well, the, but, but like by, the slums and, and, and in Rio. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's, yeah. But by that argument, Kim Kardashian is the Robert Moses of the 21st century. <laughs> so let, let's, let, let's move on. I, I want to hit two topics before we go to questions. And the first has to do, and, and this, is, this is one that in a way isn't about architecture, or I'm sorry, architects, but in a way it should be. The biggest challenge facing any American city or region right now is the state of infrastructure, the mobility, the flexibility. And is there a role for design and architects to try and shape that discussion of re rebuilding highways, streetcars, high-speed rail, people movers, or is the challenge right now just to get done whatever we can get done? I know this isn't you know, do architects shape city or does architects matter, except ultimately the urban lifestyle is shaped by the ability to move. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. Is there a role for the three of you to intervene in that topic? Absolutely. Yeah, we do everywhere. But we're trying to, it's, it's really more about industrial design and maybe urban design and then architecture. It's more in that order because we have to figure out the intricacies of creating a place around a, uh, a transit oh, No, but I mean kind of the getting, you know, the getting around. I mean, you know, it's something like you, the need for high-speed rail or the you, need yeah. you work for under, new roads or whatever. I mean, that, at that scale. Or you is, work under another capacity. You work under your capacity as a planner, urban designer. Um, and architect. I can, I can, 
and, yeah. and an architect, and, but uh, I can, you can go from Paris to Marseille in two hours and 15 minutes in a, in a uh, second generation TGV. I go to Washington, New York a lot on a quarter. The Acelia, three hours, uh, theoretically, three and a half hours. The TGV would get you there in 60 minutes. This is the problem, right? In LA, uh, if it's after three o'clock and I'm in Culver City or in Santa Monica and I want to go downtown, it's an hour and a half. And I literally have to figure out how to get early enough to go to a lecture at SciArc and I hang out at the Metropole and have a glass of wine and do some work. Because if I go at five o'clock, I can't even do a lecture. And if you're in the west side of town, you literally cannot go to Disney Hall, or, or the, the, et cetera. And it, it's completely unfunctional. It doesn't work. And we have to intervene in those problems, as those are the compelling urban problems in, in, in globally today, as, as the world has become radically urbanized in the last 50 years, right? But would you say it really doesn't work, or perhaps it just works in a different way, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it doesn't work if it, made. in fact, inhibits the use of the diversity of a city like Los Angeles. You just have to say it's now at a stage of some sort of crisis, because you literally cannot participate the way I can participate, and I can jump on a subway, even a 19th century subway in New York, and I have this huge availability of this, 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 this cultural whole, phenomenon, this world. which is well, just Well, you have to next to your office. Yeah. You know, you should, I'll just see if you have... No, this for years. Let's see. And it's, it happens to be a 19th century. That's another conversation, too. But, uh, yeah, we, we, true. How about at, at, at kind of the finer grain, I mean, I think that, you know, for all the sparks that come on at some points, I mean, it does get down to a point that each of these men have made in writings and quotes I've read, the need for flexibility and the need for, to be able to respond to changing things, to, you know, to really kind of follow processes, to do small-scale things and adjust and react. And it seems that that is how society is, that's how we move, that's the kind of products we use. You look now with the cloud, that you, know, you buy a, a computer or a phone, and it's like things just get updated around you, and you, know, you just hit a button and you get the new system. Val, having worked, you know, like, at the fine grain, I mean, does Los Angeles still have openings for an architect to make, again, to start to shift the debate, or is, it, or is the system itself becoming so inflexible that you just kind of do what you can do? I mean, is there still a voice listening to the idea of architectural provocation? And I don't mean big dramatic, but just an extra floor to a building or an extra building on a lot or things like that. I would perhaps argue that in a city like LA that probably is probably our best strategy, right? Is to figure out how to work in these smaller, you know, in between areas, you know, I'm sort of in the virtual and literal middle, middle ground here between these two, but I think that probably in some ways is our best uh, strategy as to how to figure out to work in these uh, sort of smaller areas and those incremental changes have big impacts. I think sometimes, you know, you do focus on the Disney concert hall and these big things, right? But the incremental changes, you know, have, you know, far-reaching implications that, once again, I think we are just not aware of. I mean, because um, we're talking about architectural flexibility, just, yeah. I don't think anybody could have anticipated, you know, the way people would have taken over, you know, Central Park with some of these yeah. social movements. And how do you possibly project and design that you know, somebody's going to set up a bunch of tents across from City Hall, right? Well, you know, I think that uh, it's actually the most exciting time for design now, right now, because I think we're going to go through a gestation, uh, a dramatic gestation. You know, when you work on a space and you start using food trucks and pop-ups and those kinds of things, take that to the next stage where you're actually going to do uh, physical features that maybe replace the food truck in a particular place. Maybe we'll take part of the street out uh, and narrow the street, or we call right-sizing the street, because the streets are the biggest uh, piece of architecture that we live with, which is the most dysfunctional of all. And we have to get back to where the street is a public space. So we can change that whole dynamic. And then the buildings, if they're flexible enough, as time changes, materials change, the uses inside them change, they can become alive. And the more the, the materials we have today are far more uh, effective at opening space up and connecting than anything we've had in the past. The historic buildings are ones that are the biggest obstacles in some places, uh, even, the, even the, uh, some of the more recent... Uh, what do you call those really bad, that whole era that was really bad, I forget architectural terms, the... Postmodernism? No, no, the, that... 
<laughs> okay. Well, that's a good no, one. No, that's yeah. the one he likes. That's the one. That's it right now. I was thinking of the brutalist buildings. You know, the Stockholm is, has, was inundated with brutalist buildings back in the 50s, and it ruined the city. And they're all trying to get back. But where was I? I was trying to get to no, but the... It, but it's tricky, though. But then you look, you talked about Detroit. If Detroit didn't have that dramatic presence of the architecture, oh, the amazing. physical... But yeah. that, those were that consciously designed buildings by architects. Right. You know, if you'd stripped everything off in 1940 and then in 1970, there'd be nothing left. Well, in 1917, all these beautiful buildings had signs protruding. There was all the street was, you walk across it, there were streetcars in it. It was as alive as any place could be. Then they denuded it and they took all these perpendicular signs off uh, through probably design guidelines done by architects. Uh, they totally. No, probably by people done who wanted to rein in architects. There were, well, they reigned, the architecture got too much of a presence in terms of creating sterility and emptiness, and now we have to bring it back, and I think the architecture of the future is really about, about these small-scale things, the, the, the base of these buildings, bringing them alive, like the Apple Store, I think it's fantastic, the one in New York is awesome, uh, and we're seeing much better storefront designs, and then therefore the bases of the buildings, and how does that change for new architecture, because the architecture of the last 20 years is, you know, how many columns can you get to get to the ground? Uh, and how narrow yeah, can they be? Can I give a complete counter? I think love your discussion, but we're both in different fields. No, no, we're, and we can, but your discussion is, is incrementalism, which is laissez-faire. They don't even need us. No, Anybody can work on I any think site. They do. That's There's exactly. no, okay. And I would claim that I think as you start looking in the next decade of um, the, scale, the differentiation of the scale of projects that's taking place in large amount of the world, that you realize with the increased economic aggregate, kind of the radical shift in how we operate within the global environments, that what's taking place is the um, architecture, the, our buildings have been accretional. Cities grow bit by bit, and they're arguing for this, the maintaining of that, that um, incremental notion. Um, and, and I'm gonna tell you, no. It, it's, there's now an interest in connective tissue, which by the way, solves social, economic, cultural, political, infrastructural problems, and that the increment's getting larger and larger, so we're now doing a planning project for the expansion of Beijing, which is two kilometers long, it's just a, a single infra infrastructural piece, and it's gonna make sense because we can move people using airport technology, the way you'd move at an airport, a kilometer in Madrid, et cetera, and I think you're gonna find, as you see these projects come online, that they're incredibly intelligent, and they have to do with the radical increase in the scale of a city where there's now countries. This is a city that's the size of Holland. That's now LA, right? And it's twice as large as Austria, and we could go on and on, right? And, and we don't even yet have a total concept of nature of city. You, I just came back from Sao Paulo. You drive odd and even numbers. Ditto Beijing right now. Probably you're not going to be really happy in the city if they shift you to odd and even so you can drive every other day, right? We're not that far away. Really, it could be 10 years. Um, New York, there'll be no question, like London, there'll be no cars, regular vehicles, without paying a huge fee. That's, yep. that's 10 years ago. Sure. Yeah. Bloomberg, Definitely. with one more but term, would have then, had that one passed. But that's also because people value what's there. I mean, you know, when you look at the kind of... No, it's because you can't get from A to B. No, 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 but the reason all those people can't get from A to B is because all those people want to be there. I mean, if, if Manhattan had emptied out the way the doomsayers had said in the 70s, traffic wouldn't be as bad. I mean, it's, it's an, I mean, in other words, it's, and this is the architects having an impact. The attraction of the place makes people want to be there. And, mm, and that's more complicated. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural, economic intensification. And I would say architecture now is completely secondary. That's not, and New we York want, isn't New York because the become, architecture. We want it, you, you may want it in a different way than I do, but I want it to become primary. I want the whole, the whole building to feel alive, both with people, product and design. And that's and, and you see what's going on in the streets. We're, we're beginning to realize that the cars are the least uh, desired part of our urban environment. And so as we start to extract the automobile, we, we started that whole program. Uh, we call it Streets Renaissance. And we got rid of the, tra the tra Transportation Commissioner in New York. 
and Jeanette Satikon came in and she started doing these plazas, but we got to go to the next level as we start right-sizing the streets and we start creating really great main streets with great retail and great excitement at the street level, which is where design comes in and how it helps to enhance it. So you have the, 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 the architecture and the uses that just make these places come alive. You know, go to, go to Istanbul and look at the streets there. You don't, you don't really see the architecture. It's behind all this, this no, but, stuff. But let, let yeah. me ask, because we're going to get to questions in just a moment or two. Uh, there are two types of levels of intervention for architects and architecture in America. There's the kind of the remedial, the fine grain working with what's there, and there are the big pieces of land in cities that increasingly the public-private partnership turns to. You call in related companies, you call in Forest City, um, you call in Catellus. I don't know if they do that anymore. Is that essentially a new homogenization of the city, or is there a chance at that scale with that kind of public-private set of actors to find a new way forward that has the liveliness but also has the architectural ambition? Or is it more kind of every city's gonna have its set of glass towers that do funny angular things and have multiplex theaters at the bottom? I mean, what, I mean is, there, is there a potential or is this kind of what we're working with? See, I would go, I would support Tom on this. I would say that we really need, all the things you were saying about the city in China, I think is right. But the one other thing that you need to layer into this is those multi-use places that have a mar, far more human uh, set of needs and uses and attractions that are, that are less about the kind of design and more about the activities. But you but, need the design, you need all of those ways of getting people around. So I think there's a, if you put the two, two, we're very different, but, but your philosophy and, and, and our philosophy are, can work together and become something far greater than either one of us could do. See, That's I think you're giving architects way too much credit. I and mean, you talk about the multiplex. <laughs> uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't, look, we, architecture is the result of a series of forces. Economic, social, cultural, economic, economic again and economic again. Um, <laughs> We don't choose the placement of things. We, we can have a conversation, we can fight for it. Certainly a huge amount of my life, I've, I've struggled fighting for other alternative kind of ideas. But those are decisions made by um, the, um, the, the, um, your client. And, um, and so the, the choice you have is not to do that project because you're not interested in working out a project yeah. that you have your name on it that has the multiplex on the ground. So that's the choice you have. So you can move the different types of work and that's, that's another conversation. But I think it's again, the, the problematic would be totally unfair to blame architects and urban designers because I think we have this, a huge, huge well of talent in this country, ma massive. Everybody comes here to be educated, and um, in, in architecture, urban planning, etc. And the, the issue is with the political class, and, and, and hmm, it's the power lies in the, the client and the politics. And this is a city that has no interest in architecture at that level, at, at a political level, zero, zip, none. And um, when I was in my 30s. I was invited out in competitions to Madrid, Berlin, Vienna, to the mayors. I knew them. I'd never met a mayor here except once, maybe three years ago, I was invited to Via Gregosa and some of that. Not, they're not interested in architecture. It's not part of the city. But it's, the interest, it's also the city. It makes it very lively and open and for kind of inventions, and it has huge amount of population that has been in the past interested in innovation. It's what LA is, everybody knows that. Every architect in the world comes to LA to kind of look at stuff and talk to people. We have some of the best educational, literally the, the three schools downtown, the best, the best of the country. They can go to head to head with everybody. And, um, but it's a completely different structure which has no center, no real interest at an at a institutional level. But right? so, so like it's, the, it's, that's right, what LA right. is in a and way. But, what, I mean, like, like, but the quick question, um, just for, I mean, I like kind of aim mostly at these two. I mean, so like, let's say that either of you got a call from a developer who said, okay, we've got 20 acres in LA, LA Live is a big success, it's working wonderfully, we're gonna do one of those. I mean, would you see that as like, well, here's a chance to work with the template and see if somehow an architect can energize it and create kind of this global thing that works as an example of regionalism? Or realistically, is that 
this is a formula that's, that's going to be done and somebody's going to wrap it and that's not me. I mean, uh, I think that's almost the argument is whether, you know, um, if I'm going to do a worse job than the other architect who's going to take it, right? Because some architect's going to take it sooner or later, right? right? Um, and I would like to think that most architects do have the ambition to say, you know, this is something that I would take and perhaps pursue to give it a high level of ambition. Um, but the reality is, is it going to be a result of some pro forma spreadsheet in some developer's office, you know, that's factored up by real estate people? It's highly likely. Well, we're, yeah. we're, we're part of a team here for a big project in Los Angeles region, fairly close. Uh, and there's a landscape urbanist on the team and us. And it's like oil and water. Now, can we turn it into something that will actually be a place is the big discussion. But do the, does the city want the high design or do they want the place? So that's, there's this tug and pull. And as we move away from this architecture of just iconic, uh, purposeless, purposefulness, purpose, whatever the word is, to something of usefulness, then that moves towards the idea of place with very important design. So where's the balance there? There's a project in Cleveland, it's the same issue. There's, uh, there, it's, uh, it's field operation. I don't think they know, they should never design a public space in a city because all they think about are, they've got this really brilliant idea, let's do a picnic hill. Well, a picnic hill is just a mound. And then he has another thing, which is like an amphitheater, and, but there's nothing to do in the whole design of this major square in Cleveland. And so, you know, should they do the major designs? I don't think so. so even in the landscape world, and, and we're working at Harvard on the public spaces, and we're not having designers from Harvard work with us, and we're in charge of the design process. But what's missing is the public, the, the public entity. There is no plan department in the city. Someone, you don't decide that. The developer doesn't decide that. If I'm working in China, if I'm working anywhere in Europe, I work with a Baumeister, I work but, with somebody that says, this is a public space, and part of the program, by the way, for yeah. the developer, is you have to produce X amount of, they make the decision for the city, and they're looking at the totality of the city. Yeah. So, as a, so, as a humanistic environment, not as an economic. Yeah. So I spent the last two days with a guy who heads up the construction department in New York City. And he is trying to build an agenda at, at Pratt where there's, there's a school that helps to create, do what you're talking about. I think, you know, planning is not really about, enough about design and architecture is not enough about the place. So I don't know quite how to describe this, but it's that middle ground which is missing in most cities. And increasingly missing in most cities is anyone looking for the middle ground from above, which yeah. I totally agree I think, with Tom. I think we're, we're very close to being on the same page. But I get the sense questions are... <laughs> They're a lot I more bet we are. I bet you we are. Okay. I bet you we are. We spent another hour together. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you well, so now, much. Now we're going to open up to the audience. I, I'm sort of interested in some of the conversation about building public spaces and the notion of retail as it's being torn apart, really, by uh, internet, by the Amazons of the world, and, and how you can create a space that involves retail when it's, it's being turned upside down. I'm sort of curious what you think, looking forward, what the retail space, the, the public space looks like when Amazon's blown out a lot of those businesses. What's happening in cities, and, and here too, I don't know enough about it, but in New York we have something like 60 markets. So as we move towards a more market kind of economy, local community markets, there are going to be more people with the Etsy movement that we're going to see more and more localization, uh, smaller uh, stores uh, that can really produce local things. And we're moving, I think, in an incredibly good direction. It's localizing is the future and small stores are the future and that are geared to the, to the neighborhood. I live in Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn is heaven. Super good news. Yeah. <laughs> Environmentally, no, it's, it's yeah, more it's, available, you, you don't have to drive your car, you don't have to yeah. pay for your car, you don't use energy, you don't need more highways, and you, all you're talking about is the percentage, commercial, and, retail, housing, and it shrinks, and that's been happening since yeah. the beginning of mankind. And right? if you did that in Los Angeles, you see, and you created these little yep. market centers that were more walkable, and then you brought the streets down to context of that, and you'd use schoolyards. I mean, the whole future of the institutions, what is the library of the future? What is the school of the future? They're multi-use destinations. So <coughs> it's actually a very exciting time because then what is the architecture of the school? What is the architecture of the library? What is the architecture of... Uh, 
uh, instead of a Gary isolated museum, that's the future of a great <laughs> museum right. that integrates into the... <laughs> so the question I wanted to ask is a very hot political topic right now, which is digital billboards. So I drive up La Brea and I see these bright billboards. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's like Blade Runner without the rain. But in the meanwhile, my friends are fighting the whole thing ferociously. Uh, do you guys have an answer to that, how it could be done and done nicely? There could be billboards around certain places uh, that are kind of more like a quasi-Times Square. Uh, and then the rest, no. So it, it's part of activating and maybe creating that It's at scale, maybe. Uh, I can't tell you which places in, uh, in Los Angeles should be those kinds of places, but I'm sort of watching it happen in New York and other places, in a very few places. But there's almost, if, if I could take that question and make it a bit more theoretical, as someone who covers urban issues, there's such a generation gap right now in the cities between people who came of age in a certain set of decades and kind of feel they've divine, they've define the values of the city, and younger people who are younger urbanists who feel they are the future of the city, and again and again, what I see play out is one generation saying, well, you can't have billboards, you can't add another two floors to a building, you can't have a building that looks new or different, and then other people saying, I don't care how tall the building is as long as I've got a bike lane and a cool place to go. Um, is there a way to go through that, or do we just get more and more of a contested landscape of people trying to stop anything they don't like? Well, look, first of all, we, it starts with the nature of our culture, and we live in a radically uh, diverse, heterogeneous culture, so you're not going to expect to find Sienna, right? And an amazing number of people want to find Sienna, or San Gimignano, right? One wine, one, right? Okay. And we don't live in that. We live in this radical, uh, heterogene heterogeneous place. It's funny, I, I come down um, Lincoln Boulevard, full of signs, one of the ugliest streets in L.A. probably, and I do it, I live in Santa Monica, and I'm coming once a week probably from the airport, and, and my wife, it's a huge joke, she complains like mad every time I go down it, complaining how it's the ugliest street in the whole world. And then, but then I'll be, I'll be out in Orange County driving on uh, one of the designed landscape deals, where it's this landscape, you can't see cars, you can't see buildings. That's, that's, that could be seen as quite beautiful. And it's, it's just, I go to sleep. It's horrible. Yeah, I, I came... And, and I'm going, God, I really miss all that junky crap and you know what? Movies on are Lincoln. <laughs> because it's full of energy and full of life. And again, these are really complicated questions that I don't think... I, I don't think we have the answers to. We just, we well, finally maybe have to make a choice when we are there. But I, and I finally go down the link and I go, yes, it is junk and kind of ugly in an aesthetic sense, but it's just full of energy. It's constantly changing and it's, it's, um, it's highly informational. You know what movie's you, you, coming out. And you're just reading stuff, looking at stuff, and, and you, it's, it's useful in a way. Yeah, I mean, and think yeah. it has to be the dialogue yeah. a bit, be, be just making it beautiful and benign and comfortable and. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, you see, I'm more on the Lincoln Road side because I think you can actually take Lincoln Road and you can create slightly more active focal points along it, which then re-energize it. If you take, take, say, okay, you take 10 blocks and you say, we want 10 destinations on each of those blocks that maybe pull out, uh, take out four parking spaces and put a cafe and sort of fill in the street a little bit, and all of a sudden Lincoln Road becomes even more interesting. Uh, it's a very, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I can't take 405 because it's the most boring road in the world. All you look at are 10 lanes of cars. So when I come back and forth to Santa Monica, to where I stay, uh, Lincoln Road, why wouldn't I go on that? Iconic architecture also says something about human ambition. It makes you, it, it, it makes you feel like, you know, things are possible. If I look at Abu Simbel, what rem is remarkable to me is that human beings built it. And it says something about what we aspire to in our grand visions and our ambitions. So I don't, and by the way, for a city where you have to spend most of your life in traffic, I want to see a Disney hall. With all due respect, <laughs> I hope North Hollywood works out great and is a fabulous neighborhood to live in, but I want to see a great building. I want to see the transportation building. I want to see architecture because it tells me about who I can be. So are we just tossing yeah, aside any possibility? And, how many people go to the, to, to the Gary, the uh, music hall, and sit out in front? Well, actually, they sit up in the back in the garden. 
But people don't sin anymore. You've got the wrong mode. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Oh, they, they, they see it on. as an image that represents the city. I know, but you can drive you on the highway and you can see the image. No, no. That's you, what you it's said really that with for. Lincoln Boulevard, too. You, you don't need points. It, you, it's A to B. We don't have points in the city. We are in a car. Right? I could live in my neighborhood How many looking people? for somebody that lives two blocks away and not see them for 10 years. It's not New York. <laughs> I walk out of New York and I find it annoying. I'm always meeting people I know. I go, oh my God, I'm not but missing this. In LA, you can never, you could be looking for somebody going, Dana Cuff lives two blocks away. It's really funny. I haven't seen her for 20 years. And you'll never see her in the car, out, going someplace. Um, Frances Anderton, are you here? Frances is that little green car. The only reason I see her continually, I don't see her. I see a shadow of her in the car. I see her car. I go, that's Francis. Is that the future? That's is that Los the, Angeles. You know, is that, this is not, this, you've got another model. How many people Paris. in this audience want just to be in a car? There, there's one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Now, how many people would like to be in a good place where you can see your neighbors and do all that kind of stuff? Oh. So that's, the vote. That's kind of a the simplification of the... We have to do uh, it. That's a but let's go back. I want to answer her question. No, I want to answer her no question. one's answering it. <laughs> right. I think <laughs> iconic architecture should be there. But if you took the Gary building, which I, you know, I'm, this is a bad idea, but it's okay. I mean, it's still... And you actually created some life around the base of it, you know, that might be work, worth it. I mean, the last time I was there, there was a car perched on the way going up the stairs so okay. it would advertise well, the car. If I could intervene, I was there yesterday walking around, seeing Grand Park and all the things. I saw people on the steps being photographed. The shops were full. Yeah. And that was true what, at the, the park. The shop was full. The shop. But I mean, but... <laughs> But they were, there were people there. I didn't get robbed, and the car didn't run. <laughs> so I think that in a diverse society, we can have diverse buildings. But is there another question? You spoke about how architecture no longer has the power in society that it once had in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And uh, we've identified all sorts of forces that, that are the reason for that. But what we haven't really talked about is kind of the building code and the planning department. I know that whenever in my practice, I, I have a residential design practice, whenever I try to use anything that's new and innovative uh, that's used in the rest of the world, <laughs> I, I get a stone wall of absolutely not, oh, hell no. And, uh, you know, I know that when I design projects, I've designed a couple projects in, in Alsmere in the Netherlands, I have no problem using stuff I can't use here. And, and I can't use it here because, you know, for climate reasons, but their climate's much more severe than ours and I'm, I'm allowed to freely use all the products that I can't use here in Los Angeles. So it's, it's strange because in Holland also they have a, a more rigid planning department, but they're more, more open to the small details than we are. So I... Can you talk about that? I'm on my way today, I'm reading my iPhone, and it's from a young architect that wants advice, young being 45 years old, yeah. and um, he's trying to survive. And there's just been a conversation with, with the younger people in town that I've been in, involved with. with. There seems to be a difference in LA for my generation. I could have practiced nowhere else in the world and become whatever I am, and it had to be in LA, because it has a, a spirit of, of innovation and as a community that, that, that we, we, we the collegial, that are all interested in, in ideas, et cetera, et cetera, and in a community that supports that, or at least a, a, enough of a constituency that supports that. And, um, and there's some change that's taken place, it seems like, in the last decade here that affects people like yourself. And I've seen it from Furugawa, who was the photographer, he just died last year the photographer of, 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 of the, the last 20th century that, that everybody knows and has supported architecture. He came to me a couple of years ago and he was looking for houses. He always found interesting things in LA. And he said, Tom, what's going on? I can't find something this, this trip. And we're scratching our heads going, ah, oh, something's kind of, there's something we don't kind of get that's kind of changing in LA because LA was the place he could always show up and find something interesting, always, at that level, right? And you know that, right? And, there, and so I'm talking about a, a more of a recent trajectory, and I'm scratching my head going, hmm, it just seems to be less vibrant than it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago when it was super vibrant. Everybody looked at L.A. and this is where it was happening, and nothing going on in New York. You're at the Hamptons, you're doing a big project, right? And, um, and so it's, it's a really current conversation. This is, this is still a city of huge, huge potential, 
in terms of the root where she is, the, the, um, the iconic nature, the exploration of architecture uh, as an idea and the power of that, which is a, it's, it's, uh, it's indescribable. Of course, it's the, an amazing, amazing kind of set of possibilities that people do understand and get excited about. As they, um, I mean, people come here, just, they take tours of architecture, just photographing and looking at work from all over the world, right? That's, that's been known for years. And we have this amazing, amazing history here, right? Of, it, it's based in the beginning of the 20th century. And it's just a current thing. And I, I think it's more, it's part of the, the general sensibility in the country right now, which is somehow wrapped up in a political, cultural, social, economic milieu. No, and it's a bit, a bit, um, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's wrapped up in problems at the moment but of I, who we are as a culture that we um, are not dominant in the way we were in the 60s and 70s, et cetera. And we're in some sort of a transition, which affects architects that require desire, right? It starts with desire, and the desire has to be shared with, with the, um, the patronage. Well, I'd be curious, uh, in relation to what you were talking about, Val works, a lot of his houses are at the single scale. You've done what looked to me very creative buildings like in Silver Lake. Are there certain neighborhoods that are more accepting of different materials, different forms, or is it kind of you've got to work your way around the building code? Well, I mean, I think every place we build is going to have some sort of constraints. I mean, I think part of being a designer is being able to respond to whatever those constraints are. I think definitely you're going to have neighborhoods that are a bit more open, but I think L.A. is also, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, NIMBYs around here and everybody's concerned about their property values. You don't want that weird house down at the end of the block you know, shaving, you know, $50,000 off your, your home value. But I just think, you know, building department is just part of the constraints that we have to deal with. And I actually find it, um, I wouldn't necessarily say useful, you know, quite frankly, it can be a pain in the ass. But um, I think it actually does, um, I would say, force you to perhaps be more innovative and figure out what is important, you know, in terms of producing architecture <laughs> that has ambition. Thank you, everyone, so much for this first panel. Great kickoff. Thank you.